Today we are starting a new thing in 2 Samuel, and it is going to be really different, y'all. We've been, we've been in Hebrews, which was a letter written to teach and to instruct and to help. 2 Samuel is a history book, and it's a story. And it is a story that's told about the history of the people to instruct about their history. And I want to do it. I want to go through it for two reasons. One, it's the next thing. <laughs> it's the next Old Testament book that we're working our way through. And number two, there's a whole lot of times that Jesus was called the son of David. Remember the blind guy by the side of the road shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why in the world, since some people didn't know where Jesus came from, they didn't know where he was born, other people thought he was the son of a carpenter named Joseph. They knew that much. Why in the world would he be called Son of David? And so in an effort to get to know Jesus better, since one of the things he was called was son of David, we're going to get to know what kind of person David was to know what that would mean to be David's son. Does that make sense? So one time Jesus gave a parable. And it was a parable about two guys that had debt. And one had this humongous debt and one had a little tiny debt. And the guy that had the humongous debt had his debt forgiven. And then he went to the guy that owed a little debt to him. And he threw him in jail and beat him and flogged him because he wouldn't pay back that little tiny debt. And the guy that, that had the big debt that he owed, the, the banker, so to speak, got that guy and threw him in jail and released the other guy and said, you are both in debt. I forgave you a whole bunch. You should have forgiven him a little bit. And Jesus tells this parable to talk about these, these two people, they were both at the mercy of the banker. They both owed. They should not have clashed. They should not have had aggression towards each other, right? Yes. So hold on to that and go to Exodus 17. What? <laughs> you guys, this is going to be such a fun thing. We're going to do so many fun things in this. It is just so wild. So all the people, the Hebrews, escape out of Egypt. And they flee. And they are nomads in the wilderness. And they have no place to live and no place to go. And God says, go into this land of Canaan. I will show it to you. And I will drive out all the Canaanites ahead of you. And the Canaanites were all the people that lived in the land of Canaan. But there were some other people that lived in the land of Canaan that weren't Canaanites. Because they were nomadic wanderers and they didn't have a they didn't have a land. They didn't have a, a, a territory that was just theirs. They, they kind of moved around. But they weren't the Hebrews. 
So you've got the Hebrews who don't have a land and they're coming in and they're wandering around. And then you've got these other people and they are wandering around and they say, hey, 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 hey. This is our place to wander around, not your place to wander around. And it's not in the Bible. It's old rabbi tradition that these other wanderers came up behind all of the Hebrews and to start killing off the stragglers, the weakest of them, and taking them out. And then they attacked all of the Hebrews. And those were the descendants of Amalek. These were the Amalekites. And if I say Amalekites and you say, hmm, that sounds familiar. Good. So in Exodus 17, Amalek, this is 17.8, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. I'm not going to read all, I'm just going to tell you the story real quick. These are the people, these are the first people to come and attack the Hebrews. Nobody's attacked them yet. They're, they're coming out of Egypt and they're like, and word is spreading. Oh my gosh, do not mess with these people. They are so tough. They... Their God wiped out Egypt, basically, and did all these works. The Amalekites don't care. And they come and they attack. And they start fighting. And Moses gets up a whole bunch of fighting men. And he's like, go fight with, be led by Joshua and go fight them. And Moses goes up on a hill and he starts to pray, God, you did not bring us out into the wilderness to be killed. And as long as his hands are up, Joshua wins. But as he starts to get weakened and he gets tired, Joshua starts to lose. And so Aaron and Hur, who are Moses's closest family and friends, they come and they hold Moses's hands up so he can continue to worship and he can continue to intercede. And Joshua beats the Amalekites. And then God says, those Amalekites are scum. They should not have attacked you. They don't even own this land. They're wanderers just like you are. Does this sound familiar? They're debtors just like you are. And they started a fight. And so from here on, as long as the Amalekites last, you are going to fight against them until they are all wiped out. Whoa. So God himself said he was going to push out the Canaanites. He doesn't mention that he's going to push out the Amalekites. There's actually a chance right there. And it happened to other people as they entered. They could have made peace with the Hebrews and joined them. Because they weren't on the list of people to drive out. They weren't on the list of people for Joshua to kill until they started that fight, until they came in and aggressed. Isn't that awful? So here's a chance where a whole nation of people, wanderers, nomadic tribes, you know, had a chance to join with God's people and they rejected him. And so they are completely rejected. So then you skip ahead to 1 Samuel 15. What in the world? I thought we were going to talk about David. 
1 Samuel 15, God has made Saul the king of Israel. He is Israel's first king ever. He is really tall. He's really handsome. People, um, when they when they thought, who do I want the king of Israel to be? All the men thought, man, Saul would be a great king. And all the women thought, man, Saul would be a great king. He was just, everybody liked him. He was just really handsome, uh, had charisma, and he was, God picked him. And he goes, and God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find the Amalekites because they're still around. And I want you to wipe them out. You want to hear, uh, this is uh, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel. God, this Saul is king and God remembers what Amalek did to Moses. Whoa. I've noted what they did. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, even all the kittens. Wipe it out. I don't want a single Amalekite thing on this earth. Go do it. And so Saul goes and does just what the Lord says. He goes and he fights and he kills a whole bunch of people, but that's a good looking sheep. We're going to save that one. You come over here by me. And that, oh, that, mm, yeah. Mm. And they keep doing that. We did just what the Lord said. We killed all the ugly Amalekites. But the pretty ones we kept. And the king he kept. The king of the Amalekites, the representative of the whole Amalekite mess he keeps. And Samuel shows up, has one of the best lines in the Bible. What is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? <laughs> it's just Saul should know. Like, what? why do I hear sheep right now, Saul? What? Why are there Amalekites around here? Why is the king of Am Amalek king standing here listening to my voice? Give me the sword. Kills the guy right there in front of Saul. He's like, that's how it's done. That's what I told you to do. The Lord said to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. Whoa. God only says he regrets things about twice in the Bible. The other one is before Noah's ark and the flood. Just to give you an idea of the magnitude of, what happens when God regrets something, God acts on it. And so Samuel says, has the Lord as great a delight? He says this to Saul. He's got this bleeding sword from the Amalek king in his hand. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because God said, kill everybody. Saul said, I'm going to keep them all alive and offer them as a sacrifice. 
God says, I don't want your religious garbage. I just want you to do what I'm asking you to do. To obey is better than sacrifice. To listen is better than the fat of rams. Your rebellion is like the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Presumption, presumption, thinking that I know what God is doing, thinking that I know what God wants. And so I'm going to actually do the exact opposite of what he told me and do this religious thing instead. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Wow. The very next chapter, you got your little headlines. It ruins it, right? First Samuel 16, David is anointed king of Israel. There's only one problem. David is a little squirt that lives out in Boonville, somewhere between Boonville and Chandler. And he's not usually at home. He's usually out in the field. And Saul is this big, tall stud that lives in the king's palace and has servants and has an army. (coughs) Samuel comes and anoints David king. It's all a shock to them. They're all surprised. They don't even know what that means. They're still trying to figure it out. David will spend probably the next 10 to 20 years trying to figure out what that means. And it will be very unclear to him. It takes a long time. And then all of a sudden, this big battle starts to form. And man, I've been wearing my family out this week. I want, I want a ping pong table. I know it got bigger. First, it was a coffee table sized map. Now I want a ping pong table sized map of Israel. And it has to be topographical with the mountains and everything so that I can stand up here and show you guys where these people move and where this. So instead, you just have to imagine. okay? So Mount Gilboa is this big peak and the Philistines are lining up on one side of it and the army of Israel is lining up on the other side. Uh, This is an old fight, you guys. I think I said this before. Philistine is an old word. The modern word is Palestine. And so Palestine, Philistine, those are the same geographical lines. If you if you Google map of Philistines and you Google map of Palestine, the maps look the same. So this is a current fight now. But back then, this is about uh, 1000 B.C., 1100 B.C., about 1000 B.C. All these battles come together and Saul is scared and he goes And he finds a witch. What in the world? And he questions her and he says, bring up this dead body for me that I want to ask. And she brings up Samuel from the grave, from the underworld, from the the afterlife. And Samuel is so mad at Saul. And he's like, you're doing witchcraft? Dude, what in the world is wrong with you? And Saul is like, I'm scared, this and that. Another great line 
One of the greatest lines in the Bible. I'm gonna, I wonder how much you want to say that. You can keep count, maybe. One of the greatest lines in the Bible. Samuel says, you should not have done this. God has rejected you, and tomorrow you're going to be with me. Can you imagine? Like Saul was scared, and there's this big old battle, and there's all these armies, and what am I going to do? I'm going to scare. I'm going to go have a seance and call back the spirit from the dead and ask what's going to happen. And the spirit from the dead says, you should not have done this. Tomorrow you're going to be with me. Just a side note. People will say that stuff's not real. They'll say witchcraft. Oh, that's all make-believe. The Bible doesn't say it's not real. The Bible says don't do it. Good example here, right? So I want you to picture in your head there's this timeline. And it's moving along. If If this was a TV show, it would be awesome. Saul, it's the night before the battle. He goes, he talks to this witch. The witch brings up the spirit of Samuel. Samuel says, tomorrow you're going to be with me. Two, three days earlier, as this big battle was getting together, David has been on the run with about 400 men. And they all have their wives and they all have kids and they all have stuff. And they're all on the run. And they show up to the king of the Philistines. David shows up. Maybe I need a sword too. David shows up carrying Goliath's sword, marches into the king of the Philistines and acts like a crazy person and says, I want to fight for you. I'm done. I'm done serving Saul. I want to fight for you. And so David joins the army of the Philistines working for the king of the Philistines. For a while, he was the bodyguard of the king of the Philistines. What? Like, if all the Secret Service, you know, Trump is no longer president, Joe Biden becomes president. All the Secret Service that are protecting Donald Trump all move to China and become the Secret Service for the ruler of China. That's what, that is North Korea. They all go and they become the security guard for Kim Jong-un. Like that would be crazy. That's where David is. He is the bodyguard for the king of the Philistines. And then the king of the Philistines is so glad to have David. Because remember, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. Philistines. Now we've got David. Let's just give him a whole city. Let's give him a whole city He's got these 400 men. They've got women. They've got all their kids. They've got all their stuff. They give him the city of Ziklag. So David and all of his men live in Ziklag, which is really far away from the capital of the Philistines. And so from there, this is where we need the map. David can go out and totally annihilate this city of the Philistines that's near the border with Israel not leave a survivor, plunder everything and bring it back. People go to that city and it's plundered and destroyed. Those Israelites did it. The king of the Philistines says, David, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been fighting your enemies, O king, and plundering them and having victory. He says, good job, keep at it. (laughs) So David and his men are like this awesome 
powerful double agent, just wiping out all the enemies of Israel and the Philistines and making it look like he's working for the Philistines. This big old battle begins to begin and David and all of his men show up ready to fight. They're going to be fighting head to head against Saul and all of them. And the king is like, yes, I'm glad you're here. And all the other Philistine rulers are like, no way, dude. This is David. We're not, he's not going to fight against his own people. He's going to turn in the middle. You send him home. And the king of the Philistines says, man, I'm so sorry, David. I think you're awesome, but nobody else trusts me. While David is there, the Amalekites, you guys, seriously. The Amalekites sneak up to Ziklag and they set the whole city on fire and they kidnap all the women and all the children and all the stuff and they take off. David comes back from the front lines. The king says, I don't need you for this battle. They come back to Ziklag and it's destroyed. <sighs> what do we do? Everybody wants to kill David. They're all mad at him. All of our women are gone. All of our children are gone. All of our riches are gone. They say, nope. David consults the ephod. Let's chase after him. Let's go. Let's see who did this. They don't know. They take off. They chase him for a couple days. They find them and they wipe them out. And they rescue all the women and all the children. And they kill all those dudes. They find out they're Amalekites. They're like, Amalekites. So mad. They come back. First Samuel chapter 31. The battle is drawn. David and his men are beating the Amalekites while Saul and his army are fighting the Philistines. And in the battle, Jonathan gets killed and Saul gets killed. And he dies the Philistines find the body of Saul. Saul says, I'm about ready to die. Kill me. His armor bearer says, no way, dude. I am not killing the king. Saul says, I'll do it myself then. And he falls on his sword and dies because he doesn't want them to do terrible things to him when they find him. They do anyway. They chop his head off. They hang it on a wall. They hang his body over here on a wall. They just make a big parade. 2 Samuel chapter 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. So all the stuff that I just described from the witch to right now is like four days. Like this all happened since Wednesday to today kind of thing. This is not vague or spread out. This is all in the last four days. On the third day, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn dirt on his head. He came to David. He fell on the ground and paid homage. David said, where do you come from? He said, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. I've escaped from the camp of Israel. Why would you need to escape from the camp of Israel? Either the camp of Israel is being held hostage or you are being held hostage in the camp, right? 
David is about 80 miles from Mount Gilboa, where in Ziklag. So 80 miles would probably take a couple days, maybe three days for this guys to, to get there. He says, the people of, David says, how does it go? How did it go? What happened? The people fled from the battle. Many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? So there's some funny business going on here because David is in Philistine territory and everybody thinks that he is the hero of the Philistines now. So this guy that's bringing him this news could be bringing him news as you're this great Philistine general and I want to tell you about the great victory that we had. We killed Saul and we killed Jonathan. Or it could be that this guy knows that David is from Israel and he's bringing sad news that the king has fallen. There's a lot that we don't know. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and there was Saul leaning on his spear. Okay, whoa. The dude was on Mount Gilboa. He doesn't say he was fighting. I was on, did this guy come up behind after the battle and like looting dead bodies? That was how a lot of people got stuff. You'd go in a battle and pick stuff off of dead bodies and that kind of thing. It's wild that he says Saul was leaning on his spear because that gives away something. There, years ago, when I was at the pastor at the rescue mission, there was a guy and he came and he came right up to me. He goes, Dan Sullivan. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I knew it was you. So-and-so sent me to come and blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, well, how'd you know where to find me? And he said, well, he told me to find a guy in a white dress shirt and khaki pants holding a cup of coffee. And he said that, and there I was. And I was total white shirt, khaki pants, cup of coffee in my hand. And it was just funny that I had heard through the grapevine that that was how the guys described me. That I must have had a cup of coffee a lot. I must have drunk a lot of coffee at the mission. I don't know. When he mentions that Saul has his spear... Remember, Saul had his spear all the time. Saul was always throwing his spear at David. Saul, do you remember when David snuck into Saul's tent while he was asleep? The thing that he stole was his water bottle and his spear. Like that is Saul's stuff, right? So when he says, I saw Saul standing on his spear, now you know, okay, there is some truth to this. Because he really did. He really did have his spear. The horsemen, the chariots and the horsemen were close. When he looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me and I answered, here I am. He said, who are you? He said, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me. And yet my life still lingers. I read that real fast because I hope you missed what I think David missed. So I stood beside him and I killed him because I was sure he could not live after he had fallen. I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm and I have brought them here to my Lord. Here they are. So not only... Alright, let's just go Levitical on this. The guy touched a dead body. So he's unclean. That's okay because he's a Gentile, uncircumcised Philistine. He's a garbage person anyway. So we're not going to hold that against him. 
but he killed the king of Israel. Not only did he kill him, he then looted his authority off of him. He took his crown. It would have been so much better if he would have shown up with Saul's spear, wouldn't it? He took off the thing that only Saul has is this crown. And the armband and other guys could have had armbands and armbands are kind of common among uh, higher up power. Some, you know, just like military now has stripes on their shoulder and that kind of thing. He took his crown. Like you got to mess with the dead body some to get it. It wasn't it wasn't like when you go to Burger King and the thing doesn't fit like it fit. And he hands that to him. David took hold of his clothes and tore them. Just grief. Just, you know, uh, the grief. Sometimes guys will punch a hole in the wall because they're so grieved. The 1000 BC version of this is just ripping your clothes. All the men who are with him. These guys, how long have they been sneaking around with David saying, this is your chance, kill Saul? (laughs) No, I'm not going to kill the Lord's anointed. David, I think David finally drilled it into their heads how much to revere God's anointed king. That when they heard he was dead, they mourned, they wept, they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people, the Lord, the house of Israel. They had fallen by the sword. They're just grieving like full, full body. Gosh. Middle Eastern people know how to grieve so much better than Americans know how to grieve. Just, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's terrifying to see. Somewhere in the midst of that, you know how I said the Amalekites had a second chance? They could have joined the Hebrews, but instead they attacked them. In Jesus' parable, those debtors, those equally in debt, that guy had a second chance. And he blew it. David asks this guy, says to the young man, where do you come from? The guy already said where he came from. I read it real fast because I hoped you wouldn't notice, but you might have. He already said where he came from. David's been whooping and killing Amalekites for three days now. There's nothing he hates more than Amalekites. He probably spits every time he says the word Amalekite just to clean his mouth out before he kisses his wife. And this guy says, I'm the son of a traveler. I'm an Amalekite. David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Why weren't you afraid to kill God's anointed one? You didn't even you just relayed this story to me like I should be proud of you. You don't even have any grief or mourning. David calls one of the young men, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. Kill this guy. David said to him, your blood be on your head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. This is a big deal because David might not respect the person of Saul, but he respects the the seat and the position of king of Israel. Um, I, I, let's see. I got to tell the story the right way. I know a guy 
talking about Secret Service. I know a guy that was a staunch Republican, and he was also in the Secret Service. And then Bill Clinton got elected, and he was standing, I mean, like he had to protect Republican presidents, and he had to protect Democratic presidents. And whatever opinion they had, he was protecting them. And one time I asked him, so what's the deal? Like, what's that like? And he said, I, my job, I'm sworn to protect the office no matter who is in it. And it was like, wow, this is not just some petty, personal argue, like all the people on the news. And their pettiness, right? This is respect for a role, no matter who's in that role. Here is David. I don't care if the dude in that role threw spears at me and was a madman. I don't even care that God withdrew his anointing from him. Because once he had God's anointing to be king, and I'm going to respect him. Wow. David also killed this guy because he can't be connected in any way to showing that he wanted Saul to die. Right? All of David's life, all this stuff, he's been protecting Saul, even from his own best friends that wanted to kill him, to help him. And so he can't have any connection to that. This is David of whom Jesus would be called the son of David. This is the character of a king of which people would say there will be one more better king than David, and it will be Jesus. This is as good as it gets for Israel without a Messiah, is King David, who grieves when the Lord's anointed, even though he is, he still grieves. Here we are, team, right? There's all kinds of Christians that you may know personally or you may see them in the news and they are off. Wow. What in the world? Like days that I don't even want to call myself a Christian. I want to make up some new word for it so I can not be associated. I want to be a Jesus follower. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be, I want to come up with a different definition because if that person is a Christian, I don't want to be like that because they're not following Jesus, but they're calling themselves a Christian. But here's David still holding out that God was involved in and cared for Saul, cared for Saul's life enough that when, I mean, who, who benefits the most? Who, who is this the best news in the world for that Saul died? I don't know. The dude that got a whole bunch of oil dumped on him by a prophet and said, you're the next king of Israel, probably David. He has the most to benefit from Saul dying. And he is the one that proclaims the time of mourning. So then all the rest of chapter one is David's song and his lament. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. He's, uh, the mightiest have come down. Don't talk about it in Gath. Don't publish it on the streets of Ashkelon. Don't let the Philistines know. I don't want them to be happy at all. Don't let any of those daughters of the uncircumcised Philistines be happy today. He goes on. He says all the stuff 
Um, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and mighty, in life and death they were not divided. He really honors them through this whole thing. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. He was a closer friend to Jonathan than he was to any of his uh, multiple wives. (laughs) Jonathan was just the best friend he ever had. How the mighty have fallen, how the weapons of war have perished. And so here is, he is not rejoicing over the death of his enemies. He is not celebrating his own advancement. He is not saying, finally, Saul gets what he deserves. But he is grieving, genuinely, truly grieving. Oh my gosh, you guys. That is the beginning of our story. (laughs) So I wanted to set all that up because it's been a long time since we've been in 1 Samuel. And so now as as you pray this week and as you think about Jesus, think about all the things we've seen about David just so far, just this little bit, that Jesus is the son of David, that Jesus would act like these great and noble, not all the things David did, but these great and noble things, when David was at his best, that Jesus is going to follow in his footsteps and be the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being with your people. Thank you so much for guiding the whole life of David in such a way that we can look at it and Jesus, we can see you in it. We can see your mercy. We can see your forgiveness and your grace. We can see your your constant second chances and yearning for us to follow you and to give up, give up all the stupid stuff we would chase after. Lord, guide us and bless us in this same way. Turn circumstances to our favor and show us your ways that we can know you more. We love you, Lord. Amen.